Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. One of the earliest prophets in the nation of Israel, his name was Elijah. Um, and he, man, he did lots of miracles, spoke for God, challenged sin, um, did a great work for God. As he got down toward the end of his ministry and his work, uh, God connected him with a younger man named Elisha. Okay, different name, uh, very similar. But so Elisha begins to follow Elijah and is walking with him and, and watching him serve, listening to what he says and following very close. And it, it's, it's kind of a funny story because for some reason or other, Elijah keeps trying to get him to go away. You know, just, just go away. <laughs> but he wouldn't go away and he's following him. And he, Elijah had uh, what, what was called a mantle, okay? And a mantle being the idea of like a, a cloak or a, a special overcoat or something like that. And as he, when he would work miracles, he would always be wearing this. So when Elijah would show up, people would recognize him because he had this on, a mantle, all right? And um, so Elisha is following him and finally it comes time for him to go. And Elijah doesn't die, but God takes Elijah, picks him up in a chariot, a, you know, by angels, a spiritual chariot, and takes him up to heaven and he's gone. But as he went, he let go of the mantle and the mantle fell down onto the ground. And Elisha picked up the mantle. And the Bible tells us that he took it and he, he wrapped it up and he went over to the river that he wanted to cross and he said, he called upon the God of Elijah and the power of God and hit the water and it spread out and he walked across on dry ground. And then he put the mantle on. And so what we see here is that this mantle was a symbol. Nothing wasn't a magical thing, but it was a symbol of the power of God and the position that the prophet had. It was a symbol of that. And when Elijah took it off, Elisha picked up the mantle and put it on and found himself standing in the same place that Elijah has been doing the ministry that Elijah had been doing. Now, we are in this series today uh, about families and that we do not want to be dysfunctional families. We want to be families that function well and accomplish what God wants us to do. And today we're going to be talking about fathers. Now, let me say to you, if you are here today and you are not a father, and as I look across the crowd, I think there's a bunch of you that will never be fathers, right? Uh, and that's not a put down. It's just your gender, right? So... Um, what we're going to talk about today, it has broad application, it has very specific application for fathers, but it has very broad application to everybody who's here. So don't, don't disengage and say, oh, this isn't for me today. Oh, no, this is for you, for every one of us who are here today. So we want to talk about dads, fathers, and, and this position that they hold. And what I want to talk about is it's sort of like you have been given a mantle by God to wear, when you put on this mantle of fatherhood, it comes with certain rights and privileges and responsibilities and authority and a very, very important role to play in God's eternal plans and purposes. 
So I've been talking about mantle as a physical kind of thing that people put on it, was symbolic of that. But when you go to the dictionary and you look up mantle, it, it says that usually in the first definition, but there's a second definition that goes along with what I've been saying. And so this is the definition of mantle, an important role or responsibility that passes from one person to another. So we talk about passing the mantle, okay? Is fatherhood an important role? Are there huge responsibilities that fathers have? Absolutely. And, but the goal of this is not just that the father fulfills that role and responsibility, but that he then passes on this role and responsibility to his sons and to his daughters. Not to his daughters to be fathers, but to his daughters to be godly women, which we'll be talking about in the weeks to come here. But so it's something to pass on. And so our culture has really kind of messed with this. Fatherhood is not valued the way it once was. Uh, and it is so important as we're gonna see. Now, God talks about Abraham and describes Abraham in a, in a particular story in the Old Testament. And he holds Abraham up as an example for us to follow. And it says this, Genesis 18, verse 19, it says, for I know him, this is God talking about Abraham, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. I know that Abraham will fulfill his role that I have given him as a father. And, and not just to his children, but to his children's children and all who will come as we look at all the details that are there. And so this is what I want us to see today is that what is this role? What does it look like and how do we live it out? What are some things we need, need to make sure that we do? What are some things that we need to make sure that we avoid bad decisions, okay? Now, let me tell you, fathers, God has helped you out a lot with this. Okay, now society has worked against, but I want to tell you, God has helped you out a lot with this. Because do you know that when your children enter the world, that when they look at you as a father and as they grow up, they almost think you're God? Because they, you know, they don't get God, but they get you. And in Proverbs, it tells us this. It says that the glory of children is their father. Now, mother has a role that nobody else can fill. We're gonna be talking about that. But dad has a role that nobody else can fill. And when children look up at mom and see mom, and they look up at dad and see dad, they see something different. They, they view them differently. And the idea is, who is glorious in the universe? Who is glorious? It's not a trick question, who's glorious? God is, that's right. But when children look at their fathers, they see glory, and so God has put fathers in a position to stand in the place of God in their children's lives, to be God's representative in their children's lives, to speak God's truth into their children's lives, to model what a Christian lives like before his children. God has given that role to the father and he's, he's built into your children. They start with this and we can mess it up but they start with this willingness to look at you and to let you have that role in your lives. Now, 
As I mentioned, our society, our culture has really messed with this. And I'm not going to go into all the stuff that's there. I think it's pretty evident, you know, how dads are portrayed and in the media. I mean, and sometimes it's funny, right? But when you start to realize how dads are portrayed and, and the role of the father is often viewed as unnecessary. It doesn't matter if he's in the home or not. I mean, on and on. It's a mess, really mess. Not God's ways. Last week I talked to you about a bunch of statistics related to parenting. But I want to zero in on one of those just a little bit more. It has to do with the role of the father. Okay? When they looked at statistics and tried to predict, how would we know, what would we predict about whether or not these children who are growing up in this household will stay engaged with church when they're adults? Will they be regular church attenders, or if they aren't regular, but they're staying connected and they're going you know, off on there, still participating. And, and they, we zero this down into look at the role of fathers. This is a study, this is what a study found. It says this, that if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. Now some of more will stick around and not totally depart. But the role of father is crucial. Mom can be as faithful as she wants, but if dad isn't faithfully participating, it really, really affects the children. Now here's why. I'm gonna show you another statistic in a minute. But here's why. It's, and I'm sorry, you know, this, sometimes I'm gonna say things up here as we go through this series that may or may not be politically correct, okay? And so just hear my heart. I'm trying to share with you what God says and how it really works. Here's the deal. Mom wants me to go to church. My relationship with mom, and so it's important, I gotta do it and all, you know, but moms want me to turn out good. All this kind of stuff, I get this. But when my dad goes to church, wow, this must be important. You see what I'm saying? Because what dad chooses to do, a child naturally, in their heart and mind, invests that this must be important because dad is doing it. This is not putting down mom's role. We're gonna talk about mom's role next week, okay? So if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife is, only one in 50 will end up becoming regular worshipers. The next statistic is this, that if a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two thirds and three quarters of their children will become churchgoers. You catching that? Why, because this must be important because dad thinks it's important. And so the conclusion of this study with respect to uh, the father's impact is this. Said it is the religious practice of the father that above all determines the child's future attendance at or absence from church. So what I wanna say to you is the fathers, you have an extremely important role and it bears out in life that if you will think God is important and live like God is important, and like it, this is a real thing in your life, and you live that out, it's gonna make a huge difference in the lives of your children. And so what I wanna encourage you today is to reassume the mantle of fatherhood, okay? Reassume the mantle that, that God has given us as fathers. And maybe you've never worn that mantle, fine, put it on now, okay? If you're a grandfather, your kids are grown, you still have this mantle, you still have a role, you are still a father. And if, you aren't, if you're a young man and you aren't a father yet, you're going to be. Go ahead and put this, these things on today that we're talking about. Now, 
What I'm going to do today is, is to work through some things to show you some really important things about what we need to do and what we shouldn't do. And I'm going to do that by telling you a tale of two fathers. We're going to look at Abraham and Lot as fathers. And what we're going to see about Abraham is Abraham, not perfect. Bible records his mistakes. He made some mistakes along the way. Certainly not perfect, but Abraham did an awfully lot of things right and God used it. Now, Lot, on the other hand, is far from perfect. And though he did probably some things right, he did an awfully lot of things wrong. And we can learn from that as well. So, let's start in Genesis chapter 12. Take a look at these things. Genesis chapter 12. And and what we're doing today, I really encourage you to follow along with us in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chairs there in front of you. You can look under the chairs and find it. And I'm going to give you the page number to start with. And after that, we're just kind of working our way through here. And uh, so we'll help you to find those things. But it's going to make it much easier for you to follow along with what we're saying if you're actually looking at uh, the scripture with us. So page number 12, we're starting on. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, and before I go any farther, just to let you know that his name is Abram. Later in the story, God changes his name to Abraham. He does so for a reason, to communicate something to Abraham. But just know that probably when I'm talking, I'm probably just going to call him Abraham, all right? But so if we're reading Abram and I'm saying Abraham, same person, all right? Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will, that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How much of that do you think Abraham understood? Not much of it, right? What is he talking about? What is God talking about? But what part of this did Abraham understand? What do you think was the easiest part to understand? What did God say? I want you to leave, get up, go, take your family, go. Leave your country, leave your family, go to a place that I'm gonna show you. Where's that? Don't worry, I'll show you. Okay. Verse number four says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, don't let that 75 years old kind of trouble you too much. Uh, We think, wow, that's awfully old. Yeah, but Abraham lives to 175 years old before he's done. So this is still early in his life, his family life. Uh, But the beginning part of verse number four is what I want you to see. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. I don't understand it all, but you told me to go. I will go. So the first thing you want to see is, is, Father, you have to settle this. I will follow the Lord. I will follow the Lord. I'm settling this. Doesn't matter whether I understand it or all or not. I am going to follow the Lord. Because, let me say to you, that hypocrisy of a father, a father who says I'm going to follow the Lord but isn't really following the Lord. He's in now. We already kind of saw that statistic, didn't we? Right? Not going to work. You need to settle. I am following the Lord. 
And that means that you say, okay, I, I, you know, I received Christ as Savior. I recognize that I've sinned against him. Uh, you know, Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I'm going to trust Jesus to, to forgive all of my sins and to take care of that. And now I'm going to follow him. What does God say? That is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to play games with this. Not going to be halfway. I am settling this issue once and for all. Now, I remember for me when I did this, I mean, I'd been saved in college, my first year of college, 19 years old, going to church, and, and it was probably two, three years later, I don't remember, but I remember one morning in my bedroom, it was fairly early, the sun had just come up, and I was sitting there talking with God, and it just became clear to me, and I said to the Lord, okay, God, I will do whatever Wherever, whenever, however, whatever, I will do what you say. I will follow you. Now, I have not done that perfectly by a long shot. But I will tell you what happens. is You know, you fail, you don't do it, you make a poor choice, a stupid choice. A but then you keep going back to it. I am following the Lord. I have settled this for my life. And this is what you got to do, dads. If you want to assume this mantle of fatherhood, you got to settle this issue a once and for all deal. I will follow the Lord. If I mess up, I'm going to keep following the Lord. I'm not going to quit. So you got to settle this in your life. It's really first and foremost, all the rest of what we're going to talk about isn't going to matter, isn't going to work, unless you settle this issue, that I will follow the Lord. Turn over to chapter 13. So we read here that Abram took Lot with him. Well, who was Lot? Lot was his uh, nephew. And I'm not sure why he took Lot with him. Uh, maybe Lot's father had passed away and Abraham is now filling that role in his life. We aren't sure, but Lot has come with him. Now in the um, culture that we're looking at here, wealth, if you were wealthy, it probably meant that you had a lot of animals. Okay, that was their culture. You know, you didn't have just one goat to get milk from or, you know, you had lots. And so the more you had, the wealthier you were. And, and, and so we see Abram becoming, Abraham becoming very wealthy. He, his flocks have multiplied. He has people who are working for him. He has a lot of people now who are being born into this group that he is leading. Uh, you might think of it even as a big tribe kind of a situation, all right? So let's read what happens. But Lot, excuse me, Lot is doing the same thing. Lot is also building his wealth, working on doing that. Chapter 13 here, starting verse 5. It says, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And just let me say real quickly, I, you know, I'm not sure why that statement is in there, but I think it's this. What it means is that people were watching. There were people around who were observing Abraham and Lot and saying, what are they doing? How are they dealing with this problem? They're observing. Dads, people are watching you. Your kids are watching. Your wife's watching you. Your, your relatives, your friends, you're watching. You have an opportunity here to make a difference. Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, 
please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. We're family, okay? We don't want a problem between us. And then Abraham says this, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And what I want you to see here is that Abraham is making a choice not on the basis of what's best for him financially. He's not saying, okay, hey, I need this for my flock, so I want this land and you can go there. He said, no, what? Lot, you choose. I want you to choose because I'm, I'm not about that. Verse 10, how does Lot choose? And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because those were cities in the plain. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go for, towards Zoar. So let's stop. What does that mean for him and his flocks? A place that's plenty of water, there's plenty of vegetation. What a great place to take your flocks and, and to increase them and grow in wealth. And so Lot, verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Now, um, is there anything wrong with money, having money? There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with getting wealthy, but I want you to see something here and it, we don't see it all here, but it's gonna be borne out in the story of Lot here. What was the basis for Lot's choice here? It was money, wasn't it? It was wealth. It was possessions. That was why he chose what he did. And as a result, he's going to end up in a bad place and terrible things are going to happen in his family's life because he made money, so to speak, his bottom line. All right? And so here's the second thing. Do not love money or possessions, dads. Do not you have them, great. Use them. Enjoy them. But do not love them. For if you love them, you will make bad decisions. When you love money possessions, you will make decisions that will put you in bad places and will bring bad things into your life. Do not love money or possessions. Let's continue. Verse 12. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. All right, so see, this is what I wanted you to see. What has happened here? Lot has chosen money, but this choice for wealth has put him where? Close to ungodliness, close to wickedness, see? That's what I'm talking about, the bad choices that you make. But here's what I want you to see, is he has now taken his family and he's put them there and he is now exposing his children to wickedness and ungodliness. And so here's the point, you need to protect your children from ungodly influences. You need to protect them. You know, we tend to think of, you know, protecting our kids physically. And, and I think probably any dad in here, if, if there was a, or excuse me, a physical danger to your child, you will step in, you will intervene. And we think about taking care of our kids physically. But I want you to understand something, that there's something more important than that. And that is that you protect your children spiritually. You need to protect them from the ungodly influences. Do you know what Satan wants to do to your children? 
First thing he wants to do is he wants to get so entangled up with sin and, and he wants them to hide it from you, but get them so entangled up that they just don't even believe they can ever get fixed. And, and then he wants them not to receive Christ. And he wants them to end up in hell forever. If by chance they have gotten saved, he wants to destroy their life and make them ineffective. And when he does that in their lives, man, it just turns your life upside down too. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You gotta protect your kids from this. And, and this means there are television shows that your children should never watch. There are movies that your children should never watch. There's music that your children should never listen to. There are books and magazines that your children should never read. There are places on the internet that your children should never go. There are people with whom your children should never hang out. Now, all of those things apply to you first. Dads, if you are, you can't let those things into your life and then expect somehow to protect your children because by letting them into your life, you have actually brought them in to your children's lives. You can't do that, okay? If you're gonna assume this mantle of fatherhood and pass it on, you must protect your children from ungodly influences. Let's go over to chapter 14, the next chapter over. Um, so what has happened here is Lot has gone and he's down the plain and an invading army has come through and it has captured all the cities down there and all their wealth and including Lot and they've taken them away. Abraham hears about this and it says that he gathered all of the servants that had been born in his tribe, his household you might say, who have grown up there and trained 318 of them. It gives you an idea how wealthy Abraham is. But he takes them and pursues and using military strategy and by God's grace they defeat that enemy and they bring the people back. They bring Lot back and they bring all of the wealth back. Okay, what do we call the wealth that you get when you go do battle? The spoils of war, right? By right, Abraham could take all of that and keep it all. So let's read a story here. Verse 18, as he's returning. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him Melchizedek a tithe of all. So Abraham takes all of this spoils that have been gotten, and, and who knows, there may have been other places besides just the plain, but he gives the tithe to God's representative here on earth. Now, verse 21, now the king, of Sodom said to Abram, and what do we know about Sodom? He said Sodom is a wicked, exceedingly wicked, ungodly place. Okay, now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I, the king of Sodom, have made Abram rich. God is the one who made me rich, not you. And he says, except only what the young men have eaten in the portion of the men who went with me, Anner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. In other words, the, the stuff that we had to consume and these other people who aren't with me, let them take their part, but not me. I have sworn to God I will not do that. Now, Abraham, could he have justified taking that money, do you think? All the wealth, could he have justified it? Yeah, I've earned this. But he knew what it would mean. What it means is it would have compromised his testimony. And so, um, 
Tell you what, I'm going to skip past that definition, John, okay? And what I want you to see is this. Don't sell out your integrity. Don't sell out your integrity. And your integrity is this character, this right and good character that you have before God when nobody else knows about it, when nobody else sees it, or when you can make everybody else think what you're doing is fine, but you know it's not. Your integrity is when you say, no, I am not going to do that. God has said no, or God has said yes, I am going to do that. When you're operating with integrity, you're operating on the basis of that good character and what's true and right, whether anybody else knows or sees. It's who you are when nobody's looking, okay? Don't sell that out. And even if nobody else knows, guess who knows? God knows, but guess who knows? And this is the worst part, you know. And it will undermine you. It's like cutting under that foundation of, of this thing that you're trying to pass on to your children. So don't sell out your integrity. Go over to chapter 17. Um, now, Abram has made some mistakes here. I tried to solve some things his own way, and it hasn't really worked, but God is going to clarify some things for Abram. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. By the way, that be blameless, I think, is the idea of that integrity on the inside that nobody else sees or knows. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face in, in worship. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations." What God has done is told Abraham here, I am doing more in your life than you think. See, because the mistake that, that Abraham had just made in the previous time here was that uh, he hadn't had a child yet. And he's thinking, God says, I'm going to have lots of descendants and I haven't had a child yet. And the, the practice in their culture was that if, a, if a, a wife could not have a child, she was barren, she could take her servant girl and give her to her husband as another wife. And if she had kids, then those kids were accounted for his first wife, All right? So this isn't God's way. This is the culture's way. But Abraham and Sarah had done that, okay? And God is clarifying here, look, it's not about you just having a kid. It's not about that. I am doing something much bigger than just you having a child. And so what I want you to think, guys, here, is that what God wants to do with your role as father is much bigger than having children and raising them. It's much bigger than that. He has eternal plans and purposes that he wants to, to, to accomplish. And so here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to do this. I want you to ask God to give you a bigger vision for your family a generational vision, that I am not just trying to raise these kids to get up and get out of my hair, right, before I lose all of it. I'm, I'm not, it's not just about, no, I'm training these children up in such a way that God can use them. And one of the ways he's gonna use them is to train up their children for God and, and then their children. And, and if I do this well, it's going to, the ripples are going to go down for many years. And really, if you do it poorly, the ripples also go down for years. But ask God to give you that bigger vision 
And, and it'll really encourage you, inspire you to, to take more seriously what you're doing. All right, let's go all the way over to chapter 19 now. We're going to look at Lot and some bad choices that he made. We already know that he moved towards Sodom, right? Got himself involved there. By the time we get to this part of the story, he has moved into the city of Sodom with all the wickedness that is there. And uh, God has already, he met with Abraham, told Abraham, you know, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to judge uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities there for their great wickedness. And, and so he sends two angels there to uh, look at the place and then take care of this. So chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now I want you to take note, Lot is sitting in the gate. Do you know who sit, sat in the gates in these uh, cities at this time? The people who sat in the gates were the leaders of the city. Now this, they sat near the gate where people came and went. And if you had an uh, uh, issue that you need to bring up with the leaders of the city, the elders of the city, this is where you would go. This is where you would go find the leaders. So Lot has now become one of the leaders of this wicked city. And who knows, maybe he thinks, well, maybe I can make a difference. And we're going to see he hasn't made a difference. So they show up and Lot recognizes that these are not just regular men. These are men from God. So he has enough of that going that he recognizes them for who they are. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. We're going to be here and observe the city at night. Well, Lot knows this city, okay? He says, but he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast, baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Because news had gotten out of these strangers who were here. And they surround the house and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Bring them out that we may have sex with them. Like what? Okay, and before we go farther, I want you to know, I'm, this really is not about homosexuality, all that is. This is just about lust and man's evil desires, okay? It's way beyond homosexuality, all right? So they say this to him. Verse six, so Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. He's thinking, man, you don't understand who these people are that you're dealing with. You can't do this. And he's going to talk to them. But look what he says. Verse seven, he said, please, my brethren, do not so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. It's like, I, you know, if you're just reading that for the first time or hearing that, it's got to be like, what? But I want you to see what's been going on here. Lot rationalized his choice to move close to Sodom. Well, I moved, yes, I know I'm getting close, I'm going to be, but it's because of this, you know, I'm going to build greater wealth, and that's all I'm there for. Eventually, being exposed to those ungodly influences, he what? He moves in. Now he's moved in and he's rationalizing. You know why? Well, because well, maybe I can make a difference here. And see, so he tries to, you know, work his way up, become a leader, try to make a difference. 
But I want you to see what happens when you rationalize things. And by rationalize means this. When you really got a gut sense, you know something's wrong, but you figure out how to justify it with your mind. That's rationalizing. You know it's really wrong, but you kind of figure out how to talk about it so it doesn't sound wrong. He had rationalized these choices right along the way. And by the time we get to this choice, Lot can't think straight anymore. When you rationalize choice after choice after choice, you lose the ability to make good choices. And it will hurt your children. So never rationalize ungodly choices. Never. How? When? Never. It will only wreak havoc in your life and the life of your family and your children. Let's go on down to verse nine. So anyway, so he's offered them his daughters here and verse nine, and they said, the, this, uh, stand back, this is all the men of the people. They said, this one came to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. You see, were they respecting Lot? Lot said, I want to try to make a difference here. Were they ex- ex- uh, respecting him as a godly man? No, they saw he was a what? A hypocrite. He talks about this good stuff, but he ain't living it. He's a hypocrite. They didn't respect him. He says, so he keeps acting as judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, now talking about the angels, but the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Because they're getting ready to destroy the city. Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Why, why did they think he was joking? Because they had never heard him talk this way before. Oh, now there's a crisis and he's talking this way. Here's what you need to know. Lead your family in spiritual activities before the crisis comes. Oh, you know, when a crisis comes, all of a sudden we want to pray. Well, that's good. It makes sense, right? But, but if you have not been approaching life that way all along, all of a sudden this doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem genuine. And how many times have you known someone in life who really didn't seem very concerned about spiritual things, crisis comes into life, and all of a sudden, oh, they're real spiritual, and they're showing up at church, and they're praying, and they're talking. And then after that crisis is over, slowly but surely they what? Fade away. Now this has to be real in your life when there is no crisis. Show, or excuse me, lead your family in spiritual activities before the crisis comes. And then the last one, Genesis chapter 22, and we we don't have time, it's what an amazing story it is. But God had given Abraham the son he had promised him, named Isaac, Abraham loved this boy. Uh, because he was special in so many ways and God was going to do so many great things through him. You know, he had this intergenerational vision for this. And then all of a sudden, one day, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and I want you to go put him to death. Sacrifice him to me. Take his life, put him on the altar and burn him. Sacrifice him to me. 
And like, and it was, that's nuts. What's God doing? Abraham, by this point, has gone through a lot of stuff with God. And he's realized that he can trust God. In fact, later on in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham's faith was that if God let him, had let him kill Isaac, that God would have raised Isaac from the dead to keep his promise. So he's trusting God. So Abraham heads out to do that. And God stops him. And what a picture this is for us because God stopped Abraham from from killing his son as a sacrifice, but God did not spare his own son as a sacrifice for us. Amazing story. But here's what I want you to see. Let's start in verse 15. This is after God has stopped him. It says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And here's what I want you to see. This This is a big, big truth, okay? So... Just open yourself up here for this. Show your love for your family by loving God more than your family. If you love your family more than you love God, then you aren't following the Lord. We're back to where we started from. Jesus said this. The absolute very best thing you could ever do for your family is to love God. Because when you love God, the Bible says you will do what God says. And what God says is always best for your family, even when it doesn't make sense to you at the moment. And so you can't say, man, I don't know, and choose your family over God. You do a disservice to your family, and it's just not going to work. Love God more than your family and show your love for your family that way. Because you know what your family will know? that my dad will never go against God. How important must God be? You see? All right. So many more things the Bible has to say about this, but if, if you can grasp these things and at least catch this vision for it and begin to live it, God will use you in amazing ways. So I challenge you today, take up that mantle, fathers, and put it on. And let God use you for generations to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work. Thank you for these examples, Abraham and Lot. Uh, I pray, Father, that, that by your grace we will make good choices here. Help us to catch a vision for putting on this mantle of fatherhood and living it out. And those who aren't fathers, I pray they'd be supportive of this and encouraging of it. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd make a huge difference here in the children that we're raising for you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.